So I want to start today by reading to you a quote from A.W. Tozer. Uh, it's the very beginning of the book that he started, he wrote, called The Pursuit of God. This is what he writes. Christian theology teaches the doctrine of prevenient grace, which, briefly stated, means that before a man can seek God, or a man or a woman can seek God, God must first have sought the man or woman. I'll just chew on that for a little bit. That's a pretty profound thought. He goes on, before a sinful man can think a right thought of God, there must have been a work of enlightenment done within him. Imperfect it may be, but a true work nonetheless, and the secret cause of all desiring and seeking and praying which may follow. We pursue God because, and only because, he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to the pursuit. No man can come to me, said our Lord, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And it is by this prevenient drawing that God takes us from every vestige of credit for the act of coming. The impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outworking of the impulse is our following heart after him. All the time we are pursuing him, we are already in his hand. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Now, you know, that's just not, I, I hope you don't see that as me being Ron the nerd, you know, and kind of geeking out over this. But, but when I was in college, I got into A.W. Tozer. I still love Tozer. You know, he really gets me thinking. I'll tell you, I can only usually read a chapter at a time, and I usually read it out loud and I have to, loud and I have to think about it. But it sinks in, and there's some profound thoughts there, especially for our culture, because when we think about pursuing God, we think it's all about us, right? I've got to pursue God. I wonder if he's out there. I wonder if he knows that I'm around. God, here I am. Here I am, I'm pursuing you. I mean, that's kind of the mindset of our culture. But the Bible teaches the opposite. It teaches that God first pursues us. And then we need to decide whether we're going to follow. And sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. And it's all about whether we are. God pursues everybody. Do we respond? How do, how do we go from this point on? You know, pursuing God is an exciting thing. The pursuit of God, I would say, I would go so far as to say the pursuit of God is my life's ambition. It's the most important thing to me in the world, more important than anything else. I've pursued God most of my life. I've wavered, I've ebbed and flowed. I've had my doubts, I've had my downtimes. I've had my high times. But pursuing God has been exciting for me. One of the things that I didn't have growing up is I didn't grow up in a Christian home, per se. We went to church you know, pretty regularly for about five years, and that was it. But I didn't get a lot of memory verses. And so, as an old man, I'm memorizing more than I used to when I was a young man. And one of the passages I've been memorizing lately is um, Genesis chapter 32, um, verses 24 through 28. And if you're familiar with that, if you did memorize when you were younger, that is Jacob's wrestling match with God. Now, some of you may know that, a few of you, that I used to wrestle once upon a time, right? It's gotten to become almost an inside joke. But, but that's not the reason why I chose this. I, I like the wrestling illustration, but the wrestling illustration really points 
to Jacob's pursuit of God. And it's a tremendous example for us of, of what pursuing God is all about. So we're going to jump into that that day. That's what we're going to tackle. And then next week, we're going to back, going back to Romans, where we talk about the gospel truth. Remember, we've looked at different sections of the gospel truth. First, we saw the problem with the gospel. And this next section is going to be the provision of the gospel. So go ahead and read Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. Romans 3, 21 through 31 for next week. And for this week, we're going to expand on the passage I told you for the context. So we'll actually be looking at Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. So I'm going to read that to us now. Um, The same night he arose, this is Jacob, and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children. Some of you complain about having four or five. This guy had 11 And he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob or Yaakov, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. The pursuit of God, pursuing God. uh, Let's get a background, a little bit more background on Jacob here. Jacob had a twin brother named Esau. And Jacob was a trickster. Jacob was a deceiver. He was a manipulator. And he got from his brother, his brother's birthright and blessing from the father. And his brother had the right, in a sense, to kill him. And his brother felt like that's what he might just do. So he decided to pursue Jacob and kill him. And Jacob had to flee for his life. And he went to his mother's family in faraway Mesopotamia, and he fell in love with his cousin. Now, remember, this is ancient, early human history. He fell in love with his cousin, Rachel, and he asked for her hand in marriage. But his uncle Laban was more of a trickster than him. He had a night marriage, you know, candlelight and all that, I suppose. And then they went into, and she had her veil on, and he went into the tent and consummated the marriage and came out the next morning. And it was her older sister, Leah, whom dad was having trouble marrying off. So don't marry a woman with a veil on. Um, (laughs) At any rate, he then married Rachel, and he basically became a slave for all intents and purposes to Laban until he was able to trick his way out and get away from him and move out of town. And Laban was coming after him. He kind of made tentative peace with him, but there was a lot of tension there. He needed to find a place to go, and there was no place else to go but home. Years had passed. So he sent a message to his brother Esau, and he said, I'm coming home. And he was very gracious and kind and hoping that they could mend fences. And Esau replied immediately. He was excited. His brother was coming. In fact, he was going to meet him with 400 men. If you know the story, Jacob is is really kind of the farm boy, the serious, you know, responsible farmer and laborer, and his brother is sort of the warrior, adventurer, and he has his little army. This is basically his army of 400 men. And Jacob's thinking, is he coming in peace 
or is he coming to slaughter me and my family? That's the setting. And they have to cross this river called the Jabbok River, and there's fords where it's low so they can get past it. So he gets his family all safely across, and night is falling, and he maybe stays to pray for a little bit or whatever. We don't know, but it got dark out. Probably wasn't a full moon. The impression is that he couldn't get across the river because it was too dark. So he's going to have to wait for the next day. He got them all across first. Now he's there by himself. So he decides to just probably pray. That's the impression I get is he's just praying. And he's talking to God. And and he's at his lowest point. You know, the times that we pursue God is usually when we're having hard times, right? When our health has failed, when we've lost our job, when, you know, we we need to pass the test, you know, we're scared to death and we don't think we're going to make it. It's not going to work out. And then we're on our face before God. God, help me get out of this mess. And Jacob's at that time. Also, he's near Bethel where he was years earlier in chapter 28 where he had a vision with God. See, God has been pursuing Jacob ever since the day he was born. But Jacob has not been responding to God's pursuit. Oh, sure, he'll get excited. He'll make a monument to him, but then he goes away. We do that too, don't we, sometimes? God, thank you for helping me there. And then we just move on and forget about him. That's what happened with Jacob. And now Jacob's getting really serious because life's getting harder. And while he's praying, he hears something, and it's a man there. Now, in those days, they didn't have electrical power. I mean, it wasn't like a guy walking around with his flashlight or, or with his phone. It's like, where did this guy come from? Who is he? Just walking out in the middle of the darkness. Who are you? What's up? And I think there was probably some shuffling, some talking, some pushing, some shoving, and next thing you know, they're on the ground wrestling with each other. Now, what's really amazing with this is that wrestling is an exhausting sport. Some of the greatest athletes in the world that will wrestle, you know, after a six-minute match, they can't even lift their arms and legs. They're just done. And yet these guys are wrestling all night. And Jacob was a pretty tough dude. If we read earlier, trying to impress Rachel, he once took a stone. It took several men to move the stone, and he moved it by himself. So he was a man of brute strength. Perhaps his brother was better with the bow and arrow, but he was perhaps stronger. He was a very strong guy. He'd done a lot of labor, but he can't beat this guy. Who is this guy that shows up out of nowhere? He's not used to not being able to beat a man. And this man he can't beat. Who is he? Later he will say that he has seen the face of God. And the impression is that he is wrestling God. But to clarify this, in Hosea chapter 12, verses 3 through 4, it says that he was just wrestling an angel. And people said, well, not just any angel. Could it be like the angel Gabriel or Michael, the archangel? Maybe. Or some think it might have been Jesus before he came to earth permanently. That he came and he wrestled with him. The truth is we don't know. But it was not uncommon in those days if you had a vision or if you saw an angel to say that you'd seen God. So for all intents and purposes, he's wrestling, in a sense, a representative of God. It's like he's wrestling God. What would it be like to wrestle with God? Do you ever think about that? What would it be like to wrestle with God? And I thought about the fact that God is our father, and I thought about how much I liked wrestling with my kids when they were little. My daughter liked to wrestle, but my son really got into it. We would jump each other all the time, no matter where we were. And one of our favorite games was the King of the Mountain. You ever do King of the Mountain? We did King of the Mountain on the couch. 
and whoever got pushed off went into the fiery lava and died, <laughs> right? And so the whole game was who could push the other person off. And you say, well, that's unfair because you had him by a lot of weight. Well, yeah, if I, I could push him off every time, but to make it interesting, I restrained myself. I restrained myself, just like God would restrain himself. And I would let him go and push me. As long as he worked hard and his face got red and he was tired, then I might let him win. But I made it hard. And boy, we had a lot of fun and a lot of laughter. Um, but, but those are some of my favorite memories. And I think that's kind of the picture of, of us wrestling with, with God. I mean, Jacob, you know, at any time, uh, God could have finished him off, but he doesn't. And, and he holds him back. And he uses this to draw Jacob in, to push him harder, to, to see how much do you really want this? How much do you really want a relationship with me? How much do you really want your life to count for me? How important am I to you? And he pushes him, and he restrains himself just enough to just keep it going. It's a picture of us pursuing God. You know, we pursue things, don't we? We pursue a lot of stuff. I mean, when I was a kid, do you guys remember what you wanted to be when you wanted to grow up? Right? I remember for some reason, I, my, my grandfather's best friend was a dentist. And he was really nice. So for a while, I wanted to be a dentist. And then I wanted to be a farmer for, well, for a while. I wanted to be a cowboy, for sure. I wanted to be a fireman and a policeman and a detective. And they were all childhood whims. And the world is probably a lot better that they never happened. It wasn't me, right? But those are things that I wanted to be when I was younger. And there were other things that I pursued. I pursued music. I wanted to be a musician for a while, played the trumpet, played the baritone, and then ended up by my senior year kind of not playing anything because I just didn't really have it. I wanted to be an athlete, wanted to play football, but I was too small for the line and too unathletic for any place else, you know, by the time it ended in high school. Wanted to wrestle and had some opportunities at some colleges that were interested, smaller colleges, San Francisco State. My coach knew the guy there. Humboldt State used to have a wrestling program. They don't anymore. Coach Cheek, I'd worked out there. He was interested. Ohlone College had a good program. Coach Cowan talked to me. But, you know, I didn't want to wrestle anymore. I knew I wasn't Olympic caliber. So then I wanted to pursue something else, right? So I pursued my studies, and I pursued my career. You know, we, do you guys do the same thing? Does this relate at all? You know, we find these things we pursue. But more specifically, we pursue people. You know, we think about pursuing God. A great example is the pursuit of people. When I was a junior, I was 20 years of age. I was a junior in college. I met this really cute 18-year-old girl. And I was quickly in pursuit of her. And, and Carrie did not have the gift of prophecy, so she didn't realize what God had already preordained. So it took me a while to convince her. It was a little awkward at first. Then we kind of fell out of it. And then I found out she did like me. And then I went after her. And then everything was going well. And then I panicked and got out of it. And then I got back in it. You know, my wife and I, we dated for about three and a half years. And I can tell you this. Throughout that time, we fought like cats and dogs. We fought over everything. We were constantly hurting each other's feelings and trying to figure things out. We were just getting too introspective and too analytical. Um, but, you know, we knew we, knew we loved each other. Um, and we learned, I guess, how to work things out over that period of time. And so we ended up going ahead and getting married. And we've had some, you know, we've had some tussles. 
But you know what? I think we got most of our fighting done before our marriage, which was a good thing. It helped us, and it helped us have tools how to work those things out later. So, so we went ahead, and, and, but it was that pursuit of a relationship. And I really think our pursuit of God is a lot like that. Our pursuit of God is a lot like that relationship. It's, you know, sometimes you hit a wall, and then you just got to push through. You don't stop. You keep seeking after the person, and then you go deeper. How have you pursued God in your own life? I was thinking about that in my life. I was thinking, how about the pursuit of God? How did that start for me? First memory I have of God, I was a toddler. I can remember this in my room with my stuffed animals in my bed, and I thought, there's somebody in here, and it's not mom or dad, and I wonder if it's God. I remember that. The next memory I have, and it's my first clear, clear childhood memory, is when my grandma took me to the Catholic Church to pray because the president had been shot. I remember when President Kennedy was shot. And I remember thinking, is there a God? We're praying to a God. What's this all about? You know, and then I remember that my best friend moved away. He was like a brother, moved away. And I'd been sick and having a bad year, and these people moved next door to us, and they had this whole oikos thing that we talked about, and they invited us to go to church with them. And we went to church, and this Sunday school teacher sat me down, and she said, Ron, I want you to understand that God loves you, and he, is, he wants to live in your heart. He, he wants to live inside your heart, um, and he wants to take full control of your life. Would you like to pray with me now? No. Would you like to go home and pray? Yeah, I'll go home and pray. But she probably thought I didn't, but I did. I went home and prayed. And I was really excited about this, and I wanted to tell everybody about it. And I got involved. We started going to church regularly for a while, but then, you know, we stopped going. It all fizzled out. And then my grandparents moved, and that was traumatic for me. Um, and I had a cut. My, my, my aunt, um, aunt and uncle had a, the first and only child they ever had, and he died 10 days later. It caused a crisis of faith for my grandma. She began sending us a little daily devotional book. Nobody in the family read it, but I read that book, cover to cover, every day, every year, all through junior high and high school, I read that book, those little booklets that would come in the mail that grandma would send, and I'd read my Bible. But you know, it was awful hard to live out your Bible without God guiding you in your life. Doing it on your own doesn't work, people. Have you figured that out? It just frustrates. It's like pounding your head against the wall. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I was in late uh, high school that, um, you know, things kind of fell apart for me, and I went away to college, and I had some friends get around me and tell me more about God, and got me involved with a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, now Crew International at San Jose State. That's where I think I've told you before, I had a friend that challenged me. He said, I I challenge you to, to read your Bible for what it says, not for what you want it to say. And that changed it for me. That changed it for me. He made me so stinking mad. I, I remember I went home, and I punched out my bed, I got tired, so I got down on my hands and knees, and then I just prayed. Um, And I started seeking him. And that's when I really committed my life to God. And it goes on from there, but I want you to think about what is your story? What is your pursuit of God? Have you you come to the point where you've recognized that um, you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that Jesus died on the cross for you and rose again, and have you surrendered your life to follow Christ? And if you haven't, come and tell us, because that's the beginning of the pursuit. God is pursuing you. Are you yet ready to pursue back? Are you ready to follow? He's drawing you. That's why we're here today, because he's drawn us. How will we respond from there?
But beyond that is what are you doing to develop that relationship still more? How do you pursue that more? You know that Psalm 139 says that God even knows what we're thinking. If he knows what we're thinking, we can talk to him without moving our lips. You can talk to God spontaneously all day long, and it can be fun. I talk to the Lord about everything. I laugh with the Lord. People think I'm crazy, but sometimes I'm just laughing with God because I'm thinking something is funny. You know, he can be part of every part of your life. He can be your, your father, your best friend, and your counselor all rolled up in one. He can be whoever you need him to be at that moment. So you talk to him. You listen to him primarily through the Bible. You read your Bible. You get to know him better. You memorize it. You build relationships with other believers, get in small groups and so forth, and help people build into your life. You tell others about him. It's all part of the process of seeking him. Sometimes it's good to just get time alone. Uh, I mean, hopefully you're spending time every day, even if it's just a little bit alone with just you and God, just as you would with anybody else that you're close to. But ideally, you know, you may even spend a period of time. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone like a couple hours just with God in the morning or in the evening when everybody's asleep? You ever spend a day or a weekend? You do that with your wife or your husband. You do that with the kids. People say, well, I'm just going to take my daughter out for tonight for dinner. How about just spending some time with God tonight? And I encourage you to pursue him more. And you'll never regret it. It's life-changing. But there's something else I found out that surprised me over the years. And it's not what they told me when I signed up. And that is that pursuing God is painful. Pursuing God is painful. And we have an example here. Uh, This man's wrestling with Jacob, and it says that he doesn't prevail against him, and I think that's because, again, he doesn't want to. He's drawing Jacob up, and he's trying to get Jacob where he needs him to be. And uh, Jacob uh, is wrestling with him, and what's weird, though, for us is he touches his hip socket, and he injures him. And Jacob's not able to walk well after that. And we don't know if that's temporary or if that's the rest of his life. We do know this, that later in life, Jacob has a staff that he has to rely on. I think he injured him. I think that was an injury that he, maybe it got a little better, but I think that was his, his thorn in the flesh. He had a bad hip the rest of his life because of this wrestling match. But every time he thought of the pain of his hip, who did he think of? He thought of God. And it drew him closer to God. It made him dependent upon him. And so God is doing this. And then the other thing that happens is after God hurts him, Jacob won't let go. Jacob knows that this is God now, and he says, I don't want to let go. And you see the passion of Jacob. And it's almost like God has this thing all planned out. It's like, come on now, come on, ask for the blessing, ask for the blessing. God, please bless me. Okay, there we got it. That's what I've been waiting for all night. Um, Okay, you got it. And so God is taking him through that process. Um, It strikes me that it is painful. Jacob experiences physical pain. Um, wrestling is always painful. You know, when you wrestle, it's exhausting and it wears you out. But when it's a spiritual conflict, it, it, it's, it's a difficult thing. Wrestling with God can be exhausting. And the life can be tough. I mean, we, we kind of think that when we become Christians, you know, the, the tendency is to think everything's going to be a lot easier, right? Life's going to be good. I know Jesus. And, and it's true in the long run. It is true. But in the short run, it can be difficult. Because you are battling against spiritual forces of darkness. Because, you know, you're going to go through difficult things where people are watching you and questioning you. 
because you do what's right when others want to do what's wrong. They persecute you because of your beliefs, and then you see people that you love turn away from God and maybe die without him. And that can be painful. So following God, it can be a, it can be a painful thing. Um, you know, I've already talked about some of the struggles that I've had. And, and actually, when you think through it, God doesn't take away those struggles. And I think in many ways, he uses those struggles in our lives. But uh, in my life, for example, one of the things that I've struggled with is, and, we just, and it's interesting because we just discovered this with an MRI, um, I have a torn labrum, labrum in my arm. It's on my bicep, which is one of the reasons they're not as big as they used to be. Truthfully, I wouldn't have been able to wear this shirt a few years ago. Um, uh, actually, I injured it in 1977 when I was wrestling. And I remember after the matches, I would go up against the wall and try to pop my shoulder back in place. And it never got better. So now they're giving me physical therapy, and they're explaining to me, they're saying, this radiates down your arm, but it also goes up into your neck and your head. And that's what's been causing uh, migraine symptoms that I've had for most of my adult life. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a crazy thing. You know, God allowed that to happen. God allowed that to happen to me. I'm following after him, but he took that, and he allowed that to happen to me in my life. You know, you go through difficult, painful things. My wife and I, we've had our struggles. Uh, we've had a good marriage, but, you know, we've had our struggles. Different health issues, jobs that I've lost. Things that, dreams that were shattered. Kids, both my kids got really sick. Both with catastrophic illnesses. And uh, over a seven and a half year period. And then I, I lost my favorite wrestling partner. I lost my favorite wrestling partner when he was, um, when he was nine and a half to leukemia. I, I just really didn't think I could go on after that. But, but God is good, you know. I mean, I did. You see what I'm saying, though? Life isn't just easy because of that. My, I've had some physical problems because of that. My, Carrie had a breakdown out of all of that. Connie did, too. My daughter's not walking with the Lord today. That breaks our hearts, and it's partly because of all the pain that we've been through. Um, and it's affected our extended family. You know what? I'm one of you, right? You guys have your problems. I'm a pastor, but I'm a human being. And things don't always work out right just because we're following God. But God wants to know, will we continue to pursue him when times are going hard? Will we continue to pursue him? And, and, and what is this all about? You know, I, I sometimes ask, why, why does God allow these things to happen? And, and I think, when I think about that, um, I think it's partly for the witness around us. You know, my son's suffering actually caused us you know, to have opportunities to minister. But I think more than anything else, it's just kind of the bringing us together. I mean, it, these kinds of things can help you, and they build you as a person, and they build your confidence and so forth in your character. Uh, I think of that whole illustration we had before of me wrestling with my son. My son used to say, Dad, when I grow up, I don't want to be a wrestler like you. I think he had something against the singlets. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't always excited about those either. Anyway, but I'll tell you what... Um, he learned to protect himself. You know, he'd been sickly, but he was bullied in the neighborhood and at school 
and at a place called church, and he stood up to all those dudes, and they all backed down, and they all became his friends. And so I think it helped him. I think it helped him in that way. But you know what helped the most, in my mind? Is that we got close. We got close, right? God wants to get close to you. That's what this is about. Walking close to him and then having his perspective in life. He wants to get us there. Um, I've been ministered to by, an auto, by the autobiography um, called My Life Between Heaven and the Real World by um, Stephen Curtis Chapman. A lot of you know who he is, a very gifted musician, singer, performer, Christian guy. Um, and I just, I didn't, my, my mother-in-law bought this book, and then she gave it to me, and I thought, oh, well, I'll read it. And it actually really ministered to me because he's so open with the struggles he's had in his life. He, he talks about his marriage problems. He talks about his wife's mental illness. He talks about his, um, his problems with codependency and pride. And he talks about the horrific accident where his son actually ran over, where the car ran over his daughter and killed her by accident. And he talks about screaming at God and his tears. And I read this and he reminds me a lot of David in the Psalms, who was also a musician, by the way. But you see this vulnerability, this openness, this brokenness. You see that at times with Moses and, and Elijah and Elisha. You see that with Peter. You see that with Paul. You see that with Mary. You see that with Esther. You see it at different times in people's lives. Um, but that, that raw openness, that, that honesty, that lack of pretense, I think that's what God's talking about when he says that David is a man after his own heart. I was reading recently that men, women tend to, to adapt and, and have a closer relationship with God naturally than men in our culture. A lot of it is because women can be more vulnerable and more open. And men in our culture have trouble with that. You know, we want to we be tough. There's even a movement. You know, now there's some churches that have fight nights to try to encourage men to be more masculine, um, which, which is actually more American than it is, it is biblical. Um, Masculinity isn't, doesn't have to do with fighting people. It has to do with character. It has to do with somebody who can stand for what they believe in. And I've seen guys that, you know, didn't want to do anything physically, but they've had character. They were people that would stand for what's right. They'd stand for God. They'd die for God. It had nothing to do with other stuff. And there are people that are open and honest. It's hard to do. But it's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be broken. That's why he does all of this. Because that's when we grow close to him. You've never grown close to God through your good times. You grow close to God through your hard times. That's when he draws you the most. And he knows we can't take it all the time. So he doesn't do it all the time, thankfully. But when we go through those times, we should, in a sense, rejoice in them. Because that's when we grow. So are you broken yet before God? That's where the pursuit leads us. That's been hard for me. You know, tears have always been, in my mind, kind of a sign of weakness. Um, you fake it till you make it. You know, make people think you're doing good instead of being honest and being real, especially before God. Can we be vulnerable before God? Can we take our problems and our weaknesses before God? You know, this is interesting. In Hosea chapter 12, when he's commenting on this, this passage, he tells us that after this wrestling match ended, you know what Jacob did? He sat down and wept. 
When was the last time you wept before God? When was the last time you were just, you know, just listen to God, just lay it in his presence and just listen to what he might say to you? When hard times come, it's natural to shake the fist, but do you stop shaking the fist and fall on your face before him and hold on to him? Because he can work these things all for good if we're willing to do whatever he wants us to do, and it could be hard. Are you willing to die for him? The original apostles, they, they did. All, all, the only one who didn't die was, was John. So we need to keep that in mind. Uh, the last thing I want to look at is the good news. Pursuing God is empowering. It actually turns out good in the end. We go through these hard times, but the hard times happen us grow, and then God uses us. So the story has a good ending. Jacob, Yahakov, means, you've got to be careful what you name your kids, by the way. No, it's, you're naming them Jacob because of the character, but Jacob means trickster, deceiver, um, you know, manipulator, uh, you know, uh, this, uh, usurper. Not a good name. Caleb means dog, by the way. Did you know that? But you name them for the person, not for their name, meaning. But Jacob has this name that's not a very nice name, but God changes his name to Israel. You know what Israel means? One who wrestles with God. Because wrestling is probably the most intimate of sports. And it shows the closeness that he had as he pursued God with all of his heart, mind, and soul, just like the great commandment. And that's where God wants us to get. So he writes later that he's seen the face of God. And we've already talked about that. And we've talked about his injury. Um, But the main thing is his life changes. He's decided he's going to follow God. And in the scriptures, he never turns back from this point on. It's for real. Finally. In chapter 33, he meets his brother and they make peace with each other. But you know, he goes up and down. Do you know he goes up and down like this? And he struggles. But eventually we find him at the end of his life, a great, highly respected and regarded prophet of God in Egypt, leaning on his staff, unable to walk very well. So he ends it well. He becomes a a great man of God. Um, You know, I, I look at some of these things and I think every example of pain in my life, God is used for good. The pain that I've had with my shoulder and stuff, I think probably nothing has drawn me closer to God than that. I actually praise him for it because it's made me depend on him more and it's made me pray more and it's made me closer to him than anything else I've ever had in my life on a regular basis. The struggles our kids have, the loss of my son, opened more doors to ministry than anything else. There were several people who came to the Lord through that. My son was excited about that, I know. The struggles we've had with family and friends have made me more capable of ministering to others that are having the same problems. Everything that God gives you that you go through is for the purpose of getting you to push harder and to grow more and to pursue him more and get to know him better. And the more you get to know him, the more you love God, the more you will love your world and the more capable you will be of loving your world. That's where God wants to get us to be. Um, it's interesting, when I was reading about Stephen Curtis Chapman, she, he had this quote from his daughter, Emily, that I thought was insightful, that she said, um, that kind of sums up a lot of what we're saying today. She said this in her adulthood about her daddy. She said, one of the best things, ironically, I believe you gave me was your inability to fix it. Listen to this, guys. Really, 
It was a kind and gentle introduction to a harsh world that eventually every child has to grow up in and out from under their parents' wings and cope with. If you could have fixed it all, why would I have needed to turn to God? You always led us to the throne of grace, especially when you couldn't fix it. Perhaps our greatest testimony is when we're broken before God and we admit it before God and others. It's when we see we can't fix it, but we know the one who can. It's when people see peace and joy in our lives in the midst of our suffering. And then we see that we'll do what's right even if it costs us. And that we know what we believe in is worth dying for. How is God empowering you? I'd encourage you to evaluate your life under a microscope. Look at your life and say, I've had some hard times. The tendency is to say, oh, that was really a bad year. That was a bad experience. What, how did God use that experience to help you grow as a person? And how did your growing as a person minister to other people around you? That's where victory comes. Our life is being transformed even through the hardship. And other people are being touched and transformed as a result. And then I'd also rejoice in the good times because there, there are a lot more than we even think. You know, we live in a life where usually we think of the good times as, you know, we have a major celebration. You know, it's our 21st birthday party. It's our 50th wedding anniversary and all these things. And that, those are the high points in life. But we were talking about this with the, with the Hume, at Hume Lake. One of the speakers talked about giving thanks to God. And, and uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about how we should give God, thanks to God in all circumstances. And we give thanks to God through hard times. But what about all the good things that are happening to us? They far outweigh the bad. When you think about getting up in the morning and, you know, and being able to look at the beauty around us, we have a lot of pretty stuff around here. You know, just this clouds, you know, at night and the, and the uh, sounds of the birds and the sounds of the Oakdale horn. You know, well, we drop that. Uh, but, but we can laugh at those things, you know, and we look at the, and the friends and the people that God has put in our lives, the food that we eat and the music we hear and the, you know, just being able to get up and walk around and do things. Those are all things we should be thankful for. So I encourage you to do that as well. You know, keep pressing on in your pursuit of God. Hold on tight when the tough times come and rejoice and have victory and celebration all throughout the day over little things and the big things that will come as God gives you victory. And know that one day it's going to be an endless time of celebration for us in heaven when we come to the end of this line. You know, Paul writes about this topic in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but from a different perspective. He understood that through our hardships, God is victorious. That God is the one, if we pursue God with all our heart, minds, and souls, that he's the one who makes us strong, and he's the one who works it out in the end. Uh, he, he says it well. I think it's a good concluding, concluding uh, quote for us today in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. He says, For the sake of Christ then... I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for, for Paul's example there at the end. And we thank you that when we're weak, we're strong. You're the one who's strong. We're weak. That's just what it is, Father. That's, that's it. That's, that's it right there. And so instead of trying to pretend we're something we're not, help us to be ever dependent on you 
and pray that we would be allowing you to push and develop us into who you want us to be. And if anybody doesn't know you today, I pray that they would come into your kingdom and experience your joy and peace, even in the midst of hard things, hard things that we'll all face, whether we know you or not, and the absolute certainty that we'll know that you'll fix it all out for good in the end and take us to be with you in heaven. We celebrate in this. In Jesus' name, amen.